0: You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Well, good morning, friends. Go ahead and grab uh, your Bibles. I don't have slides this morning, um, but it is vitally important that that we see that we see the word. That we see. It's not my opinion. So go ahead and grab a Bible. We'll, we'll be getting into that a little later. G.K. Chesterton once wrote a very bizarre, but beautiful story aptly called A Crazy Tale. It's essentially a conversation between two men. One seems to be somewhat insane. And he's telling another man about this great moment in his life, but he can't comprehend the meaning of it. He kept saying, what does it mean? Well, what you discover as you dive deeper into the story is that the man is re- simply recounting his life from birth, but he's so spellbound by the sheer glory of existence itself that you think he's on some Tolkien epic of sorts. He is gobsmacked at everything he sees. And so it sounds strange until you have the interpretive grid. And there's one bit where he's talking about these giants that he encountered. He went into this land of giants, which, of course, were simply his parents, but he was a child. And the other man he was talking to realizes this, but he can't get the man to understand. The storyteller is convinced that he was in a land of giants and that he should have been terrified. But then he continues saying, After I had lived with them some little while, I began to have an idea of what the truth must be. Well, instead of killing me, the giant and giantess fed and tended me like servants. Well, I must have done some great service for these good people. What it was I had by a quaint irony, myself forgotten but I love to see it shining with inscrutable affection in the woman's eyes, like the secret of the stars. There are few things more beautiful than gratitude. This man had supposed he had done something fantastic for these giants because they were so good to him. But what it really was, was a parent's affection for their child. I remember that last line stopping me in my tracks when I first read the story several years back. There are few things more beautiful than gratitude. And of course, Chesterton is right. Gratitude is the overflow of someone who is awakened to the sheer wonder of life itself, being made in the image of God, being surrounded by image bearers of God. Every person you encounter was created by the God who created the Son in his image. It's amazing. The awakened, grateful soul knows that there are infinite reasons every day to say thank you to God if As our Lord says, we have eyes to see or ears that can hear. This is one of the joys of children. They are so much quicker to glory in things with total abandon. I think of my youngest daughter and the first time she encountered the ocean this year. She's two years old and she starts sprinting towards the water with her her eyes on fire, just gesturing wildly, which is exactly the way adults should run towards the ocean, of course. (laughs) She's exactly right. And we even have more reason to do so because we understand the hidden inner workings of the ocean, don't we? That the reason tides exist is because the moon with some invisible tether is pulling them. We call it gravity and act like that has solved the grand mystery. And then the tides aerate the ocean and distribute nutrients, oh, by the way, which is absolutely essential for life to exist. Wow. And we don't see it. Again, I say it should be us pointing wildly with fire in our eyes every time, but somehow age tempers our wonder, age dulls our gratitude. But what if it didn't? Andrew Peterson is a Christian songwriter who writes things beautifully. And his song, Don't You Want to Thank Someone, is his attempt to wake us up to these things. The whole song is worth checking out, but this is just one of the verses. He writes, don't you ever wonder why, in spite of all that's wrong here, there's still so much that goes so right and the beauty abounds. Because sometimes when you walk outside, the air is full of song here. And the thunder rolls and the baby sighs. And when you see the spring has come and that warms you like a mother's kiss, well, don't you want to thank someone? Don't you want to thank someone for this? Chesterton wrote somewhere else, the worst day for the atheist is the day he feels truly thankful, but has no one to thank. But of course... Like all truth, Ender Peterson is simply thinking God's thoughts after him because Paul said 2,000 years ago exactly the same thing to the Thessalonians in his first letter to them. This is from chapter 5. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Did you catch that, Christian? Christians who so often ask, what is God's will for my life? There it is. Did you know this was God's will for your life? That you would be so caught up in this grace of God over us, live so in light of eternal life that Christ has secured that we would always abound with gratitude, no matter what Christ's life may bring. Even amidst the grief, even amidst lament, there's a gratitude at the bedrock of it all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Our Lord would agree. There are few things more beautiful and gratitude. Well, as you may know, we were supposed to begin our our James study this week, but clearly today is not business as usual. This past week, as Jason mentioned, our pastor Jeremy tested positive for COVID. So while we do value and prioritize the corporate gathering of the saints, the elders sense that the wisest course of action would be for two weeks to just go virtual for all things access. So that's our gathering and our DCs and our ACs. So we are doing that. Um, So do pray for him and and for the roses as he does continue to get better. So rather than begin our James series under these circumstances, Pastor Jeremy asked me to extend the Gospel 101 series for two more weeks. and, And we are totally confident that this is God's doing. Something we say around here is God only has plan A. And so while it's a pivot for us, it was determined before eternity passed and we have Great comfort in an ever-kind providence who always does what is best for those who love him. And so in our Gospel Series 101, if you're new to us, we've been going back to the first principles of Christianity. What is the Gospel? And, and how does the Gospel go to work, not just to justify and save us, but to sanctify us and make us holy How does the gospel wear work gloves and continually renovate our souls day by day? And last week, our topic was gospel-motivated living, and we dialed specifically in on the topic of forgiveness. The gospel saves us through the forgiveness of God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then the gospel beckons us to live lives of forgiveness, as we forgive as we've been forgiven. And we did much needed work thinking through the practicalities of that. All of the 101 services are online now, so I I highly refer you to them and recommend you listening to last week's if you haven't yet. Well, over the next two weeks, we're going to continue on thinking through gospel-motivated living, and this will be our focus. The gospel and a life marked by gratitude. That is because the gospel is true, we can rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. But how does this work specifically? That's that's what we're going to be looking at for the next 2 weeks. So let us pray again before we move forward here. Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you um, that, that you are sovereign and underneath it all are everlasting arms. And I pray, Lord, I, I stand in agreement with Jason's prayer and ask that you would be pleased to pour out gladdening grace in our midst. That would we, we would be a people after these two weeks who more and more can rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. So only you can bear this fruit and grow this fruit. And so we look to you now to mature us as a church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Every creature owes gratitude to their creator. This is an essential part of creatureliness. The humble acknowledgement that one's entire existence is owing to the activity of another. Nothing exists that did not first exist in the mind of the creator. So God is worthy of our gratitude first, simply as our creator. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty six, for of him and through him and unto him are all things, To him be the glory forever. Amen. Psalm 148 displays the appropriate response of the created order so beautifully. And I'll I'll read it now in its entirety. This is Psalm 148. The psalmist writes Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord from the heavens! Praise him in the heights! Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree And it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes, And all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. And he has raised up a horn for his people, that is salvation. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. If you remember the movie Fantasia, I can picture David putting on that weird wizard hat and having a wand and just starting this created order Fantasia of, okay, now you praise the Lord and you praise the Lord till everything is praising the Lord. This is right. This is appropriate. Our Creator God is worthy of all of our praise. So at this point, a good and natural question might be then, so if a healthy soul has a natural impulse towards gratitude, why do we need to be encouraged to praise? Why must we be commanded to live a life of gratitude? And the answer to this question is both simple and it's devastating. The answer is sin. Sin has corrupted human nature in such a way that we don't now naturally honor God or give thanks to him. Sin has taken the pure and healthy impulse to exult in our creator and has put it on a boomerang so that it now naturally comes back to us where we want to glory in ourselves and we want to use the creator's gifts for our own Glory without reference to him. And this has its origins, of course, in Eden, when the lying serpent told us that God was withholding, and we believed. Whenever someone falls from a significant height, the first question we ask by instinct is, is anything broken? And so we should ask about the fall of humanity. What was broken? Well, in Romans 1, The Apostle Paul pulls back the curtain of the human heart and reveals the damage that the fall exacted on us. Be In Romans 1, beginning in verse 18 now, where we see this play out. What was was broken? This is the word of the Lord. For the wrath of God... Hmm. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth now. The truth of God as holy creator, the truth of man as fallen creature in need of redemption, this is now suppressed. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or, and here it is, or give thanks to to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is part of what broke when we fell our natural impulse to honor and thank our Creator. This has impacted and infected every human that has ever existed since Adam. And Eve. And Paul reveals as he continues that a people who deny the living God, this is continuing in Romans 1, the God of the Bible, they inevitably degenerate into hedonism and hostility and ingratitude. And then they start turning the creation into idols, things that God made we start worshiping, idolatry. And you don't need to be a sociologist to see this clearly at work in our times and in all, in all times. And God is not indifferent to this. Indeed, the wrath of God is being and will be fully revealed someday because of it. So this was a warning to unbelievers. However, a life defined by ingratitude is not just a temptation for people who are actively hostile to God. This is also a temptation even for those who claim the name of God for professing Christians. Paul gives us this sober warning to the, to the Corinthian church. It's a young urban church. So turn to 1 Corinthians 10. We'll be in 1 through 11. Because this is a sober warning. And it really is good for us to see this for ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1. Beginning there, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. So this means, listen up, that our fathers were all under the cloud. So this is Israelites in the Old Testament coming out from the bondage of slavery, freed by God in miraculous fashion. Our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the Red Sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock of Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So they were part of the community, and they professed to be believers. But Paul says, with many, God was not pleased. So, so why? Now, these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Now remember, Paul just said this was an example for us. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So this text gives us pause. It's it's designed to... Paul wants us to think seriously about our lives and to check the fruit of our confession. And it's interesting, one of the chief evidences he gives for the unbelieving Israelites was grumbling. We probably wouldn't typically put grumbling up as one of the big sins, but God does, which means we do well to define it. Because it's, it's not simply being frustrated. It's not earnestly pleading with God and telling him about your grief and pain and petitioning him for relief. That's not it at all. So much of the Psalms are this. In our, my morning reading this morning, Paul starts off with issuing a complaint to God. So that's not what we're talking about with grumbling. Rather, grumbling is a posture of a heart, that holds God in contempt and despises his will. It's a default for believing God by default is always holding out on me and my life ought to be way better. Remember the Israelites wanted to go back into slavery in Egypt rather than trust God in the wilderness. Essentially, grumbling is the opposite of gratitude. Now, Paul is not trying to use scare tactics. He's being a good and faithful pastor. He wants us to look at our hearts. Do we have a low hum of contempt towards God? Now, friends, don't, don't hear me wrong, especially our dear grieving friends. This is not the same as grumbling. Grief is real, God is with you in it. I think you know what I'm talking about is a look in your eye. It's a low hum of constant discontentment. That's what he's talking about. So let us let these texts sink in. Let the word of God deal with us in truth. Is grumbling something you struggle with? Or is gratitude more natural? Where is this coming from? What does it reveal about where your hope really was placed in? right? Because that's, that's why we grumble. It's because, well, if that would have happened, then things would have been better. And friends, that's idolatry. In truth, if grumbling is a real struggle for you, look at it in the face because it is grace to even give language to it because it forces us to ask these good and potentially soul-saving questions. Twice Paul tells us that the story above was meant to be an example for us. And the path to Christian maturity comes by way of honest introspection before the word of God. And there is so much good news for us. Because we can bring our grumbling hearts to God because he is good, patient, and kind to those who will humble themselves. Jesus Christ came to make grumblers glad. God already knows And he welcomes us to humbly come. There is an ocean of grace for anybody who will but humble themselves and deal honestly. Before we receive good news, we need to be honest about the bad news. And God has so graciously given us the truth of his word and his powerful Holy Spirit to renew our minds and to renovate our hearts, to reorient us day by day and hour by hour and even minute by minute in a glorious and god word, trajectory. And it's only the lever of the cross empowered by the Spirit that can make this seismic shift in our hearts. This is not an act of the will. It's being overcome by God's grace to us in Christ Jesus that makes grumblers glad, that makes any struggle small in comparison to the glory that awaits us all. As our Lord Jesus said, we must Drink deeply from the water that only Christ gives. And then, and I love this, this is from John 4. He says, out of our hearts will flow a river of living water in response. I believe this cool, clear, crisp heart water looks a lot like gratitude. Well, for the rest of our time, so this will be both today and next week, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians as a case study on on how the gospel, the forgiveness and eternal life given in Christ and through Christ equips us to live a life marked by gratitude, no matter what we are going through. So that's where we're headed. And wouldn't you like that, friends? To not have your inner world tossed constantly to and fro. There is so much emotional volatility everywhere. Wouldn't you like to have a gratitude established like granite, that nothing this world brings can really sway? A peace that passes understanding that makes no sense to anybody on the outside because it's not coming from the outside. It's a work of God Almighty on the inside. God wants that for us. The Lord desires this for us. And I really do believe that God is in the midst of a maturing work in the Axis church in this area. Because every twist in turn in 2020, every challenge, every uncertainty has been a sovereign decree of God with a purpose. And one of the purposes, I believe, has been to show the American church how tethered our peace has been to comfort and security. That's one of the purposes behind 2020. Our hope can be placed in things that can vanish like this. And this is a perilous place to be. It's like a building contractor who uses cardboard for studs and then puts the wall over it. And it seems okay for a minute, until it shakes. Sometimes God does a great shaking so that what is unshakable will be, or rather so that what is shakable will be exposed and can be replaced with the granite of the gospel. He is calling us to a deeper and an abiding and a peace giving maturity. And I've been seeing this happen and I am so excited about it. So let's turn now to Philippians for help, So you can open up to Philippians. We'll get to the text in just a minute. And Philippians really is a help because in it we encounter a man whose life is marked by an unconquerable joy and peace amidst incredibly hard circumstances. And it came from knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's what he says in Philippians 3.10. So some quick backstory on the book of Philippians. Philippi was located in what today is modern Greece. And the Philippian church was planted by the Apostle Paul. You can read about it in Acts 16. It's a fascinating story. And it actually was the first church ever planted in Europe. And Philippi was a Roman colony, which means if you profess Jesus as Lord and not Caesar as Lord, you would be under intense Persecution, So this is part of their reality. And now uh, the context for Paul writing the letter to the Philippians is significant because Paul penned Philippians while sitting in a Roman jail on trial for his life for preaching the gospel. It's vital for us to understand this so that we know that Paul really does understand suffering. He is looking his possible execution in the eye of, and has a smile on his face. That's his reality. Because it's so often very unhelpful when you're suffering greatly and well-intentioned people try to encourage, but you know they have no clue what you're going through. I submit, Paul knows suffering. He is a trusted, Holy Spirit-inspired voice. Indeed, in Philippians 2.16, he says to the Philippians that his life is being poured out like a drink offering on the altar of their faith. He was cognizant that his suffering was for their sake. And the occasion for Paul writing to the church is because the Philippians had sent a member, it was a man named Epaphroditus, with a financial gift to Paul to show their support for him while he was in prison. And so the wonderful book of Philippians is Paul's thank you letter back to them for sending Epaphroditus with this gift. But of course, Paul couldn't just say thankful, his thank you. His pastoral heart was so overflowing with love and with gratitude and with encouragement and with instruction for the Philippian church. And of course, we know that all scripture is breathed out by God. So when Paul speaks, it is God who is speaking. And in the great economy of God, he has purposed that Paul's thank you letter to the Philippians not only bless the Philippians, but bless Jesus Church for 2,000 years and us this morning and next. So, all right, we've spent enough time in preparation. Let's go ahead and open open up to the book of Philippians. We'll be in the first verses initially. This will be Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every letter Paul wrote starts with grace and peace. Verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So from right out of the gate, we see that Paul, sitting in prison, writing this letter, is overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness. Paul is a man who is free, gloriously free. He's away from friends He has no trivial comforts and no bitterness, no envy, nothing but gratitude and thanksgiving to God for the grace that he's received through his friends, the Philippians. It's amazing. And I wanted to read the intro to you to show how Paul sets the table for us here. But of course, we don't have time to go through the whole book in just two weeks. But I I do encourage you, Read the whole book this week. It's only four chapters. Maybe you could do a chapter a night for family worship. And then when we circle back around next week, you'll have a, a greater context. But rather than going through the whole thing verse by verse, in the next two weeks, we're going to take the drone approach. We're going to zoom out and we're going to look at the letter as a whole and we're going to extract six secrets for a life marked by gratitude. Six secrets for a life marked by gospel grounded gospel forged gratitude. So we'll get to one today and then we'll do the rest next week. You might think that I'm clickbaiting you with the word secrets, but that's actually Paul's word. He actually says that in Philippians. I didn't I didn't make that up. And I'll prove it actually. How do you live a life grounded by a life of gospel grounded gratitude? Well, our first secret and our conclusion today is this. Know that if Christ takes you there, he will sustain you there. How can you live a life of gratitude, grounded in the gospel? Secret one. If Christ takes you there, and he is sovereign. He will sustain you there. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced. He, just, he can't not rejoice. This is Philippians. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you, you had no opportunity to show, not that I am speaking of being in need. So pause there. That's so interesting. Paul wants them to know that while he really did appreciate them, he didn't, they weren't the load-bearing pillar of his soul. He was, loved them. He was glad for them. But his contentment, his gratitude, had nothing to do with the Philippians. He didn't put, as Pastor Jeremy says, save your weight on the Philippians. I'm thankful for you, but make no mistake, it was Christ who sustained me totally. So we'll, we'll continue here. Look at this. For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. That's an interesting line. There's a way to be brought low. There was a time when Paul didn't know how to do that. Now he learned how to be brought low. That's a good word for us. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secrets. That means most people don't learn. I have learned the secrets of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The last line was Philippians 4.13. Poor Philippians 4.13. It's probably one of the most misappropriated texts in the whole Bible. We often see it used as kind of a Christian, like Red Bull, right? You get hyped up, to accomplish some great feat, because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? We see it on basketball players' shoes. We see it tacked on to a number of things. But we shortchange this verse greatly and build our faith on sand. If we merely see it as a spiritual steroid shot, it is so much more. This is not a promise that God will help you win the big game. Or that the cancer won't return or that the adoption will come through or that the same job will return it's not a promise it's adamantly not a promise about a positive change happening circumstantially that's the opposite of the point of it rather It's a promise that Christ will strengthen and sustain you when you lose the game or when the cancer returns or when the miscarriage happens or when the adoption road seems uncertain or when you don't know where the next paycheck will come for. That's the point of the verse. It's not some great feat you're going to accomplish. It's Christ is there when you don't. That's granite, not sand. This is the great and freeing secret that when all around my soul gives way, he is then my hope and stay. That's the point of Philippians 4.13. I can go through anything with Christ who strengthens me. Christ is a shepherd in the valley in a very special way. Jesus Christ himself had taught Paul this by taking him through a boot camp of sanctification, which he sovereignly ordained for Paul. And interestingly, in 2 Corinthians 12, we catch a glimpse of when Paul learned Philippians 4. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 2, excuse me, 7 through 10. Here, Paul is recounting into the mysteries of the gospel that he received that no human had seen before. This is the context. And we pick up in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. He says, so to keep me humble, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. This is not grumbling. This is doing business with God in truth. Three times I pleaded. It's a good thing to ask for. Can you get this messenger of Satan away from me, please, God? It's a good prayer (laughs) that it should leave me. Verse nine, what did Christ say? He said to me, no. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected. My power is made purpose, a perfect, when you realize your weakness. Paul says, fine. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Only the gospel can make you say that. Do you see that anywhere else? People gladly boasting in their weaknesses so the power of Christ is made manifest. Only the gospel can do that. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Do you believe it's possible to face absolutely anything with a sober gladness. It is if you know the secrets that if Christ takes you there, he will sustain you there. And he won't only sustain you, he will reveal more of his strength. He will flex in a way that you could have never understood had it not been for what you're going through. Notice, Paul pleaded with the Lord three times for it to leave. It is totally right and appropriate to ask God to remove trials from us. Jason taught us 30 minutes ago how to do that. That is good and right. James says, if anybody is sick, let the elders come. Pray for healing. Of course we do that. But if we make a request known to God, we must humbly entrust ourselves to his wisdom so that if he says no, we know it's for a purpose. This is what we're learning. This is the model that our Lord Jesus himself gave to us on the night before his passion. He knew the cross was just hours away where he would bear the sin of all the elect. He would ransom his church. And in his flesh, the burden felt unbearable to him. And we pick up in Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. And Jesus came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then check this out in verse 43. Only Luke gives us this insight. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. That's amazing to me. I love that. I had never seen that until I was studying for this. This is what Paul experienced. Request for a change of painful circumstance. Request denied. Submission to the Father's will. Strength from heaven provided to endure. Or, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Or, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger Abundance in need. I can do all of those things through Christ who sustains me, who strengthens me, who is my shepherd. May it be at the Axis Church. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, and the only wise God, We come to you today, a community scattered in body, but united by your spirit. Lord, we come humbly asking that as a church, you would be pleased to teach us the secrets. Risen Christ, won't you come now and pour out more of your presence and more of your grace and more of your strength. Father, May we be a people who really know through experience that the brightest diamonds are often found in the valley. Help us, Lord. And Father, you know all the souls represented right now and all the fractures. So may your grace just flow over the X church like a river of life, filling in all the cracks. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. May it be Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.